be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever.
saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, 
drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you and my father's kingdom. So, Father, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross and everything you do for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were here last month when I stood in front of you, we discussed Philippians 2 and idol worship. It was a pretty tough sermon, but today will be a lot easier. We will be reading from the book of James. If you will flip over to the last chapter, chapter 5, we will be reading verses 7 through 20. Turn in your Bibles to that passage, and once you get there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Before we get started, let us pray. (laughs) Father God, thank you for bringing us here safe today. Thank you for your wonderful blessings as we look at the book of James today. Open our hearts and minds to your word. Teach us what it is you want us to learn. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of today's sermon, as Christy said before, was Patience and Suffering. The word of God says... Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, 
being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. An example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes, and let your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is any one of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. Heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if any one among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his, one, from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You may be seated. So other than the weather getting warmer, I've got some other good news. And I have some bad news. The good news is Christ is coming back. Yes, he is. Amen. The bad news is we don't know when. For centuries, there has been extensive studies done about the return of Christ. Each generation believes that Christ will return during their lifetime. Yet it has not happened. That has not stopped people from trying to figure out when Christ was going to return. In fact, there's a major branch of study within Christian theology called eschatology. Eschatology comes from two Greek words meaning last and study. In a nutshell, eschatology is a study of all things that end. A part of this study of the end times, or part of this study is that of the end times, the tribulation, and the return of Christ. Hundreds of books have been written about the tribulation, and when it occurs during the return of Christ. Now, I won't bombard you with the different views of the tribulation. Suffice it to say there are many views, and none of us know who is right. All we know for sure is that Christ is coming back. James tells us that the Lord is set to return. James 5.8, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Matthew 3.2, John the Baptist says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Jude 1, 14, behold, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones. And in Revelation 16, 15, behold, Jesus says, behold, I am coming like a thief. 
Despite all the books, studies, and lessons, Christ tells us no one knows when the end is coming. Matthew 24:36 says, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. However, Jesus taught through parables that he would not or that he would be gone for a long time. The early church had believed that he would return forthwith, but 2,000 plus years later, we're still waiting. In Matthew 24, 48, in the parable of the servant, Jesus tells of the servant who says that my master is delaying his coming. The master of the servant, or and in 50, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour which he is not aware of. In the parable of the bridegroom in Matthew 25, 5, Jesus says the bridegroom was delayed. And in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. And in 25, 15, the master immediately went on a journey. Speaking in regards to the length of time that is taken for Christ to return, Christian teacher and author David Paulson says, The real test as to whether you are ready for his return is the long time. If you believe he is coming back tomorrow, that is no test of your discipleship. That's panic. It's only if he does not come back for 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, or 2,000 years that your faithfulness is tested. The question is, can you keep it up? We must stay steadfast and patient in our faith. It is not when or how Christ returns that's important. What is important is that he is coming back. We must continually continue daily to live for Christ, walking the narrow road and living out the gospel that Christ and his disciples have preached. Pastor Christopher Osterbrock says, as the church, we must choose to be absorbed by the outward calling of the gospel far more than on end times hypothesis. The former is a command blessed with spiritual growth, and the latter is a hobby privy to isolationism and often unnecessary division. What matters is that we focus on Christ and living for him in preparation for his return. In James 5, 7, he says, Be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. One of my uh, main references in preparing my sermons is Nelson's study Bible. I love what the editors say about James 5, 7. Be patient. James urges believers to maintain an attitude of patience while suffering injustices, Though every effort should be made to improve conditions and achieve justice, believers must keep a spirit of patient enduring, even in the midst of cruel treatment. The early church lived in the expectation of the imminent coming of the Lord. Their hope was that at the time justice would be handed out to both the oppressor and the oppressed. At Christ's coming, wrongs will be righted and believers will be rewarded for their faithfulness to Christ. The early church held to the idea that Christ would ascend into heaven for a short time 
and then return for his final judgment. Yet, we are still waiting. The disciples and leaders in the early church preached of Christ's return on the belief that he would be back soon, and they suffered greatly for it. The book of Acts is detailed account after detailed account of the suffering of Paul and Silas, among others, that suffered as they preached the word of God and taught of his eventual return. Acts 16, 22 through 24, we see one such instance. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner uh, prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. The preaching of Paul and Silas was changing the world and destroying Jewish customs. Because of Jesus, the laws that the Jews had for cleansing, Sabbath, and other um, activities went away. They were no longer needed. The Jews obviously were not happy with this, so they sought to end all teaching by Christ by torturing, jailing, beating, and even killing some uh, anyone who shared the gospel. In Acts 17, 5-9, we see the Jewish leaders again attacking, attacking members of the early church. Acts 17, 5-9 says, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken the money as security from Jason, and they let the rest of them go. Jason and those who were helping the disciples were dragged from their homes and forced to answer for crimes that were fabricated by the Jews, and they were forced to pay a fine. Yet those disciples and members of the early church remained steadfast in their faith. Acts 16.25 says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas could have let themselves get depressed and downtrodden. They could have thrown in the town and said, this ain't worth it anymore. But they did not. They were in prison, preaching to the prisoners and sharing the gospel. And it was through this preaching and teaching that the man who had jailed them came to become a Christian and ultimately helped secure the release. James 5.10, we see the mention of prophets that spoke in the Lord. James 5.10 says, An example of suffering, suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The prophets of the Old Testament suffered greatly. Elijah was threatened by the, uh, Queen Jezebel. Amos was insulted by the chief priests of his time. Micaiah was slapped in the face of the king uh, Zedekiah and put in prison for calling other prophets liar, liars. 
We see this in 1 Kings 22, 23 through 27. I'm not going to read that, but you can check it out for yourself. Zechariah was stoned to death. Hananiah was thrown in prison. Uriah was stabbed to death and thrown into a common grave. In the New Testament, John the Baptist was beheaded. Stephen was stoned to death. The Apostle John was the only disciple to die of old age. Judas killed himself, and the rest were killed in various manners for their teaching and preaching of the gospel. But even outside the Bible, we see men and women who were martyred for their faith. One such account was the Bishop of Smyrna named Polycarp, who was a disciple of the Apostle John. He was bound and burned at the stake, and when the fire did not kill him, he was stabbed to death. Few of his writings are still available in print. If you have not read them, I highly encourage you to do so. Through all these examples of suffering of the prophets, disciples, and teachers, we see that they all had one thing in common, and that was their steadfastness in the faith. James 5.11 says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain, who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Psalm 24, or 27, 14 tells us, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So we know we need to be steadfast and strong and wait with patience and perseverance for the Lord. The question is, how do we do that? Well, James tells us the first thing we must do is be honest about all things. James 5, 12 says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and let your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. In James' time, in order to convince someone you were telling the truth, you had to take an oath, but it's forbidden. The editors of the website BibleRef.com say of James 5.12, we might think of saying to someone, I swear on a stack of Bibles that I'm not lying, or I swear on my mother's grave that I'll pay you next Tuesday. Jesus forbids Christians from doing this, and James confirmed that teaching. The issue appears to be about honesty. Truthfulness should be the absolute norm for those who trust in Christ. Our simple yes or no should be completely binding since deception is never an option for us. And an oath, if an oath is required to convince someone of honesty or intent to be faithful, it suggests we may not be known for telling the truth in other circumstances. We must not swear an oath to prove we are being honest. We must let our words speak for themselves. The next way we can prepare for the coming of the Lord is to stay in prayer. James 5, 13 through 18 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. We must pray. There is no exemption to this. We must be in constant prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. If we want to be prepared to meet the Lord and face His judgment, we must pray. It's really that simple. James says that if we are suffering, we must pray. Verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. In Acts 16.25, we looked at earlier, Paul and Silas were in prison. They were suffering at the hands of the Jews, yet they stayed in prayer. In Acts 16.25, it says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. If you are suffering with anything in your life, you can always turn to God in prayer. Psalm 27.7 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry out loud, be gracious to me and answer me. When Jesus was about to be crucified and he was suffering, knowing he was about to die a horrible death, we see him cry out to God in Matthew 26, 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but as you will. And in 42, again, a second time, he went and prayed, saying, O oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. No matter how much you are suffering, you can always turn to Christ because he has been there. He knows your suffering. The other types of prayer James mentions in chapter 5 is healing prayer. 14 says, Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And these two verses are the reason that if you come forward here at church, we will anoint you with oil and pray for your healing. Now, there are some denominations that believe you should rely squarely on prayer for healing and not on doctors. While there have been miraculous healings, we see Jesus healing people while preaching, we are told we should rely on doctors and medicine as well. If you came to Bible study that we did Sunday nights towards the end of last year, you would have heard us teach about the history of the Bible and including the Apocrypha, a set of books that was in the original Septuagint Bible, the same Septuagint Bible that Jesus and his disciples preached from. These apocryphal books would have been read by Jesus, but over the years, Due to splits in denominations and beliefs, they have been omitted from most of the Bibles that are in print today. In one of these books, the book of Sirach, we are told to trust doctors. Sirach 38.1 says, Honor doctors for their services, since indeed the Lord created them. And in verse 4, we are told to trust medicines. Sirach 38.4 says, The Lord created medicines out of the earth and the sensible person will not ignore them. In biblical times, olive oil was considered a medicine, and it was used to cure all kinds of diseases. 
So James telling the elders, elders to anoint the sick with oil was prescribing them to be healed with medicine and prayer. The last thing James tells us to, to do to prepare for the coming of the Lord is we are to help those who have strayed from the faith. 19 and 20 say, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus tells us we must, not, we must walk the narrow road. However, there will be times that we do stray from that road, and it is up to us to look out for each other, to make sure that we are not straying. And if we do, make sure we lead our brothers and sisters back to the faith. One way for us to do this is to confess our sins to each other. James uh, 16, 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If, we're, if we commit sins that are keeping us from heaven, we must seek out brothers and confess them to one another. Does this mean we should be blowing up Derek's phone if we let a curse word slip? No. But if there is something that we are caught up in that will keep us out of heaven, we must seek out one of our brothers. The type of sins we must confess to each other is revealed in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. Or do you not know that the righteousness will not in, or the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards or revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you are caught up in one of these sins, make sure you confess them and seek the forgiveness of Christ. Because as we see in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In closing, we need to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. We are told in Matthew 24.7, For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The dominant story in the news the last few weeks has been Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We hear of wars daily and things are getting worse. Are we into the day, in the end of days? I don't know. As I said earlier, none of us know for sure. But we can be prepared. Stay strong in the faith, preserve, or persevere, and stand in the narrow road. Pray, and if you are sick, seek out the elders, and we, we will anoint you with oil. And most importantly, if you are caught up in sin, be sure to confess it to someone and seek forgiveness. After all, as Paul Washer says, the most important thing is that you do not know Jesus Christ. The most important thing is that Jesus Christ knows you. Let us pray. Father God, help us to prepare for your return. Give us the strength to stay in the faith, to be persistent in our walk with you. Thank you for your words and being faithful and just to forgive us. Help us as we travel the narrow road. Lead and guide our steps as we traverse a world that is lost. 
Help us be shining lights of the world so that some might be saved. Not that we would receive the glory, but that you would. Protect us as we travel home today and keep us safe throughout the week. And as always, thank you for being the author of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before they sing the last song, I'm going to go ahead and speak the blessing of God over you. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. around.